Hey, listen, in the bulletin you received on the way in, you'll find one of our study guides, and if you would be so kind as to grab that out, I think you'll find it very useful as we're going to cover uh, several verses this morning. We'll have all those listed for you on the sheet, so you won't have to hunt and search. You can also take notes there, and uh, hopefully you'll find that to be greatly beneficial as we make our way through this study. If you look at the top of the study guide, you see that today we're looking at God's appropriate design, His necessary design, His perfect design. It was right for the situation. Um, one of the things that I was impressed with as I began studying, preparing for today was the fact that Joshua may have well found himself in a situation where he thought God was working only on his behalf. That uh, God was delivering this grand design in order to put him into a position of leadership to move him and his men and his warriors through the land that God had promised, that God was working in his behalf. But one of the things we're going to see as we unveil the scriptures this morning is that God was actually working in behalf of millions and millions of people, literally millions and millions of people. Now, I say that because of the fact that I'm, I'm convinced that a lot of times in our personal situations, whether they be good, bad, ugly, terrible, whatever the case may be, that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that God's at work in a much bigger way than just in our little situation. We see what's happening in our lives. We see the problems. We see the heartaches. And we get so centered on our problems and our heartaches that we can't see beyond that to understand that God is actually at work in a much grander way. That what God is actually up to is far-reaching. It goes beyond our little circumstances. And He's moving in a designed way to work in the lives of far more people than what we can see in our little world. So if you have your study guide, grab it, get ready to write, because let's just jump straight into it. Number one, in this text, we see the appropriate preparation. The appropriate preparation. Okay, now let me tell you what's going on, so you're kind of caught up to speed here. Now Joshua has been encouraged by God in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, as we saw last week. And in these verses, God was telling Joshua time and time again, in fact, three times, God says, Joshua, be strong and very courageous. And the third time when God told him that in verse 9, he said, Joshua, have I not commanded you? Are you not hearing me? Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and of great courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now what we find is that now the children of Israel have made it to the Jordan River. The Jordan River is flooded. It's in flood season, most people believe. And it's, it's therefore overrunning its banks. It's a very swift moving river. The, the river is deep and it's wide. And it's not possible for someone just to wander out in it and cross the river. Much less with the things that they would have been carrying. Much less to pull their carts across. It would have been virtually impossible. And for the people on the other side of the river who were already afraid of the children of Israel to see them standing there, that was their hope. Well, they can't get across this river. We're safe. They can't get across this river. And yet God 
was at work preparing a special part of his design for the children of Israel. Now it's also of great interest to me that it also wasn't only for the children of Israel. That in fact what God was doing in preparing the means for them to be able to enter the land in which he had promised them was, was that God was preparing the hearts of the people who were there. And it wasn't something that started in Joshua chapter 5. In fact, it had started 40 years before that. Now here's the grand design of God. It's so incredible, it's so overwhelming for me to think about that 40 years prior to this moment, God was already preparing the hearts of the people that would stand opposed to the children of Israel. You may remember some of this story. In Joshua chapter 3, Joshua sends two spies into Jordan to kind of spy the land out. The spies are there. They go into the house of Rahab. And one of the things Rahab tells them is, our hearts have melted because of what we know God did for you coming out of Egypt. How he parted the Red Sea for you to cross. <laughs> People were petrified of the children of Israel. God had prepared their hearts already for their doom. But that wasn't all that God was doing. In fact, God was working in an even bigger way right here and right now in Joshua chapter 5. When God brought them to this place, they saw that there was no way for them to cross the land. And yet the kings on the other side of the river were expecting them to come. They knew they were there. They no doubt had their spies out watching what was taking place among the children of Israel. And their hope was that they cannot get across this river. And yet notice what we find in verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we crossed over that their hearts melted and listen to this and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Okay, so here's the work of God, this grand design. God is preparing a means for the children of Israel to get into the promised land. But before they get there, God knows that he needs to put a healthy fear into the hearts and minds of the inhabitants of the land. They were the enemies of God. They had rebelled against God. They had disowned God. They were worshiping their own gods. And now it was time for God to bring his wrath and judgment upon them. And the people who were watching, seeing what was taking place, their spies from the kingdoms were watching to see this, what would happen for the people of Israel. Would they be able to cross? Would they all drown in trying to cross? Were simply amazed when the stories they had heard of the children of Israel 40 years before coming out of Egypt and God drying up the sea, standing it up on its end for them to cross, all of a sudden happened once again. The Bible says that God dried up the Jordan River. That it was amazing the way it worked. And it wasn't that he just dried up the river, that the water wasn't there, and they crossed over, and some of them lost their sandals in the mud, and others had mud up to their knees, and, and some of them to their ankles, and they got across, though that wasn't what happened. The Bible indicates that God had dried it so thoroughly that when they got to the other side of the river, there was no evidence that they had ever been in the riverbank itself. 
And I can imagine the hearts of the spies dropping at that moment. Who can do that? Who could possibly make something like that happen? Who could possibly allow the waters to dry up and the, the riverbank who is set, saturated so completely to be dry so people could cross on dry ground? They went back and they told their kings and their rulers and the Bible says that not only did their hearts once again melt from what they had heard, but there was absolutely no spirit in them, absolutely no fight left in them. You see, God was at work preparing a way. I'm so afraid sometimes we lose sight of that. That we're caught in the middle of difficult circumstances. And we lose sight of the fact that God is at work in our lives. That God is at work preparing a way. But not only that, the second thing we find, your second fill-in, is we see the appropriate plan. The appropriate plan. Now this to me is uh, something that took me off guard. I hadn't noticed it in prior studies of this passage. But I think that when those who were skilled in warfare heard what God had in mind, the plan of God for them, that they thought that is the most careless, reckless, dangerous plan I've ever heard. Can you imagine? God had put this into the plan because now the children of Israel had crossed over on dry ground and they're in the territory of the enemies. Now think this through with me. Because now they're in the territory of the enemies, what you would expect God now to lay out for his plan is, okay guys, here's what I want from you. I want you to get well equipped. I want you to, to work on training one another. If you've got special skills, then you relay that information as much as you can, as often as you can in the time we have, so that when we get ready to go in and do battle, we're as prepared as we can possibly be. And he was, would have, in our minds, a human perspective would have told us that he would have said, and I want you to make sure that your swords have been sharpened, the arrows have been sharpened, that you've, you've got your, your bows tight and taut, that they're ready to do war. You get as prepared as you can possibly get because war is coming. And yet I want you to notice in verse 2 what God actually told them. He says, at the time the Lord said to Joshua, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself. And you say, okay, there it is. Get ready. Get your weapons ready. But was it for war? No, it wasn't. Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Maybe you're aware of what circumcision is. Maybe you're not. But I can tell you what, for a warrior getting ready to go into battle, this was something he would not have wanted to occur. <laughs> Let's just leave it right there, okay? Because now all of a sudden you go from being a warrior that is prepared to someone who is in a very weakened condition and would have been in that condition for days. And here they are in the heart of of the enemies. The enemy are watching. They're seeing what's happening. The spies are out observing what's taking place with the children of Israel. And they see what's going on. It's crazy. 
Who would do this? This is the most reckless thing you could ever put into a warfare plan. And yet, interestingly, God knew exactly what they needed. Didn't make any sense. As we used to say, it didn't make a lick of sense. I don't know what in the world that means, but it's very appropriate for this. Made absolutely no sense. And I'm so convinced that sometimes in our own lives, we're in these circumstances, they're so hard. They bring so much sorrow, so much pain into our lives, and we can't possibly figure out how this could be part of God's plan. And yet, through it all, God knows what we need. It's hard to imagine. But God knows exactly what we need. And in His infinite wisdom, God instills those things that are absolutely best for those who love Him. See, this was... Believe it or not, as hard as it was for some to understand, this was the absolute appropriate thing to do. And why? Well, number three tells us that not only was it the appropriate plan, but now we see the appropriate action following the appropriate plan. The appropriate action was simply this. For Joshua, it was obedience. Joshua would have looked at the plan. He might not have understood it. He might have even questioned it in his own mind. He might have even asked God, God, are you sure? I mean, do you know what this is going to do to our warriors? Do you see the the potential harm, the potential danger here for us? Are you sure this is really what you want? And yet, what Joshua did was Joshua responded in obedience. Verse 2 Excuse me, verse 7 says, Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in that place, in their place. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. Now he said in verse 2 that they did this the second time. The Bible tells us, I believe it's in chapter 6 or chapter 4. I was reading through it this morning, trying to get all this in my mind, and I've already lost track. But that before they came out of Egypt, there was this time of circumcision. Circumcision was was a cutting away of the flesh in order to sanctify or set someone apart uh, to say that they belong to God. This was what it indicated, that they belonged to God. There was something special. But now 40 years had taken place where they've wandered around in the wilderness because they rebelled against God, wouldn't enter the land that he had promised them the first time. So 40 years have come, they've been wandering around the wilderness, and during that time in the wilderness, they have not performed this action. So therefore, those who have been born and raised up during that 40-year period would not have been circumcised. And for God, looking at this, he saw that they were not set apart. They were not prepared to enter in his name into the promised land. And he understood that this had to take place. Had to. For us, there is now what we call a spiritual circumcision. Where we're talking about cutting away that which is worldly. Cutting away that which is sinful out of our lives to prepare us, to set us apart for the work of God. 
that God knows what's going on in our lives. And sometimes hard things come into our lives to get our attention, to wake us up to what's really happening in our lives so that we prepare ourselves, so that we cut away those things that have no business in our lives, so that we remove those things that would prevent us from being most effective for Almighty God. Joshua, as if a well-seasoned follower of God, certainly he was well-seasoned in that. He just did not have the leadership skills yet. But in his position, he looked at the situation and he said, the only response is obedience. And I think in our case that we have to understand the same thing. That God is working for our good and for his glory. He's up to something in our lives. God is planning something for the heartaches and the sorrows and the tears on the pillow. God's up to something in our lives. He's working through us. So then our obedience matters. That we just stop and the reaction is, God, whatever you want. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. But I know you're up to something and I trust you enough to simply say, I will follow you through it all. So we see then that the appropriate action brings about next, number four, what I'm going to call the appropriate acknowledgement. The appropriate acknowledgement. Joshua now has brought the people into the land and maybe he is a little bit nervous about what's happening. God, my, my warriors are incapable of fighting. We're in the heart of the enemy camp. And, and I don't know that it was a huge problem for him, but I think that there was a problem there. That there was a little bit of the fear. God had encouraged him in chapter 1 and verse 9. He said, Joshua, remember that I'm always with you. Hold fast to this promise. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. And Joshua had the courage to step out and do what he needed to do in those moments following. But now he stands in a land where the enemy is great. They're well equipped. They're well trained. They have walls that are high around their cities. And somehow they're supposed to invade these places and eliminate the enemy. And they're looking at this. And, and I'm sure that in Joshua's heart there is a little bit, if not a lot, of intimidation going on. And so God, in his remarkable kindness, says, Joshua, there's something you need to acknowledge here. There's something that you need to recognize. Notice, if you will, verse 13 and the first part of verse 14. We'll stop after reading verse 13 just to draw some thoughts. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked... And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversary? Now there's a very logical thing to do. I mean, if you go out in the streets and you see someone standing there with the sword drawn, what are you going to think? They are ready for battle. Something's going on here 
And uh, Joshua was a pretty brave dude. He just walked over to him. Some of the commentators I read said that he was probably off by himself meditating and praying and seeking God about this intimidation in his heart. And he looked up and he saw this guy standing there. And, and it appears from the scripture that he went by himself to him to confront him. Joshua's a pretty brave guy. He goes and he says, hey, you got your sword in your hand. Um, are you for us or are you against us? And the incredible response comes in verse 14. Notice what he says. No. No. Are you, are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? And he said, no. Now, I believe if I was Joshua, I would have said, no what? I mean, how does that answer the question I just asked? No. You're either for us or you're against us. And yet what he didn't understand was who it was that he was talking to. Because the first part of verse 14 goes on to say, he says, No, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua was standing face to face with Jesus Christ. We know that from what we'll read in just a minute in the following part of verse 14 and 15. That Joshua was standing face to face with Jesus Christ. And it was as if Jesus Christ was saying, I haven't come to join your team. You've got the wrong perspective if that's what you're thinking. But I am here to lead you into battle. I believe in that moment, the courage that Joshua had found in chapter 1 and verse 9 when God said, I'm always with you, came flooding back to him. Because all of a sudden, it wasn't just words but now he was seeing it. God was with him. Joshua bolstered his courage. He found the presence of God to be something that would give him strength in the process. And how important it is for us to understand this same thing. That in the middle of heartache, in the middle of problems, in the middle of difficulties, that for those who love God, those who are children of God, we have the presence of God always with us. It ought to be that that musters courage in our hearts to be able to stand in the times of difficulty, to be able to stand through the problems, through the hurts, through the sorrows, through the tears, to be able to stand and say, yes, I will advance fearlessly because God is with me. He's always with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Yes, there are times in our problems that it seems like God is miles and miles away. It seems like He's not listening to us when we pray, but we have the constant promise of Almighty God that He is always with us wherever we go. And might it be that we draw courage from to stand in the face of difficulty, to stand in the face of problems. So that God is glorified in our lives. To this acknowledgement, there came, number five, the appropriate response. I don't think it would be possible for there to be a more appropriate response to what was taking place than what we find Joshua doing. And what did Joshua do? Joshua fell on his face and worshipped. 
Can you imagine? He's standing face to face with Jesus Christ. Notice what he says at the end of verse 14 and verse 15. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? What do you want from me? Now here again, let's just stop right there. Because here again, this would have been a really good place for God to say, Okay, now that you know who I am, I want you to go get your men ready for battle. I want you to equip them, sharpen the swords, sharpen the arrows, sharpen your spears, get ready for battle because, man, it's getting ready to happen. But once again, God changes the typical human thought process. And here's what he says in verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. God was reminding Joshua once again of something so very important. Joshua, I didn't call you here because you're so skilled and so able that I just could not do this without you. Joshua, I didn't call you here because... You're one of the few that can deal with such a difficult problem. And, and man, I, I knew that you had to be part of the equation. But God called Joshua and he said, Joshua, got you here because you have submitted yourself to me. And Joshua, in that condition, I will take and use you. What I want from you right now is not to be thinking about the battle that lies ahead. But what I want from you is to know me more. I want you to know my holiness. I want you to know who I am. Joshua, I want you to get so close that the fear you once had is swept away. Because you understand that in the middle of what's going on, a God who is holy which means a God who is righteous, which means a God who will not lie to you, has told you that I am with you wherever you go. And when Joshua heard who was before him, the Bible says that he fell down on his face and he worshiped. The way we know this wasn't just an angel of God is because the one who Joshua fell before received his worship. Throughout the Bible, when someone is confronted by an angel of God and they try to worship them, they pick them up and say, no, I'm a fellow servant. Don't worship me. Worship God. But here we find Joshua falling before Jesus Christ, God himself. And the worship was the appropriate response. I do not understand why throughout the course of this month, God has led me to bring about an unintended series of messages to those who are hurting. I don't know. I do know that there are a lot of people in our church who are hurting. 
In fact, on any given Sunday, there are probably more who are who are in the middle of something than who aren't. Because we're not just talking about personal to me things. We're also talking about family issues and relationships and work issues and finances and emotions and spiritual problems and health issues. And I don't understand why God brought these thoughts together other than the fact that God wants us to understand that He is with us in the middle of our difficulties. That God is by our side and He is leading the charge in the middle of our problems. And what God wants for us is what we've said time and time again through this unintended series is to understand that the circumstances involve us but ultimately they're not about us. God leads us into circumstances for His glory. And what God wants from us is to respond just as Joshua did. With an expression of the greatness of Almighty God. So that those who God is working on through our situation, because it's not just us, God's effects are far-reaching. His design involves so many others. And so what God wants to accomplish is that through our problems, through our difficulties, that others see what's happening. And as a result, they are drawn to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Or they are drawn to an encouragement in their own faith. God wants for us to recognize His presence. And to offer to Him the appropriate response of worship.